0: Howdy. Thanks for listening to Let the Movie Speak.
1: Before we get started, uh, we'd like to ask a favor of you. It's a simple favor. If you could just rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen, that might help other ears get into our ecosystem here and hear another episode. Anyway, enjoy the show
2: to appreciate the bigness of the picture, the tenderness of the story, the dramatic scenes enacted by its many stars, the power and gripping suspense of the entire production, you must see it for yourselves. It is one of the most dramatic stories ever screened, glorious, thrilling, and unforgettable. Come and me, those dancing feet.
1: After years of chronic arthritis, Warner Baxter came to a decision. He would undergo a lobotomy. Three weeks later, as he lay dying, he may not have been able to recall 42nd Street. He may not have been able to remember the desperate words of his character, Julian Marsh. You can't fall down. You can't because your future's in it. My future and everything all of us has is staked on you. Or, Warner Baxter may have grinned even as the cold overtook him. Let the
0: movie speak!
1: Speak. Speak. Welcome back, everybody, to Let the Movie Speak. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Justin. And we have a special guest with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm Sydney. That's Sydney.
1: (laughs) Um, So we have our first guest today. We're super excited because uh, we don't have to just talk the whole time. Even though this is a podcast, and that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, not to mention, uh, you have some specific uh, qualifications. I don't know if that's the right word. Interest experience. experience. So yeah, just tell us like what what. Why should we care about you?
2: <laughs> that's a really big question. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a choreographer, um, and I I love watching different things for inspiration. This is one of, this is one of them, one of the the things that I've looked at is um, Busby Berkeley. And as I've tried to hone my skills in that area, um, working across different productions, um, I feel like I've gathered a couple of things to say, so. (laughs) That's what
1: we need. Hopefully Uh, more. (laughs) Because me and Justin um, are not choreographers. (laughs) Uh, So
2: It's a different language, yeah.
1: Justin, what's the extent of your, like, dance choreography skills dance knowledge just in general yeah
0: um so i am told i have less skills than mick jagger although that's kind of like you've seen don Yo, you've seen my uncle dance right oh yeah and uh and so yeah it's it's probably approximates that it's not it's not a beautiful thing to see no i've never had any uh never never had any training formally or informally or, or in an alley um one late night in Chicago, it's never happened. So um, I'm really excited that we have someone here that that knows what the heck they're talking about. Yes. Well, I've
2: shown Travis a couple of tap tap moves before, tap steps.
0: Yeah. Oh my, Travis, yeah.
1: holding out. Uh, What's this? This is news. He showed me I was not good. <laughs> that's, how, that's how that went. Um, all right, so uh, I don't believe it. Where's I, your tap shoes? Uh, we can hear it. It's
2: a podcast. It is an audible dance. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I can't find them. They're lost. You uh, can't find them
0: Get, no, next time.
1: I, I lost them. Okay,
0: uh, okay,
1: let's just move on. Um, we're going to start the way we always start, which is by giving you a, a window into our, our watching habits and not really opinions, but some opinions, but mostly watching habits and a section called what did we watch this week? Let's start with Justin. Justin, what did you watch this week?
0: Uh, I watched The Hitchhiker. It's a uh, film noir from '53. um, And I didn't know anything about this movie, but on one of the many streaming services that are out there, it was recommended to me by some uh, omniscient algorithm or AI um, as uh, purportedly being the only or the first um, film noir movie directed by a woman. Who was uh, Ida Lupino? Um, so I uh, did. It, I did, knew nothing about it. Never watched a trailer for it or anything. Not that that would have helped from the era that it's from. And uh, it's about two guys that are on maybe a fishing trip together. You don't really know. Um, and it, it's the setup is great, and all the ingredients are there to make this a really um, amazing piece of cinema, in my opinion, um, such as, you know, start of the movie, these guys are out in the car just driving through the desert, getting close to the border of Mexico together, and one guy says to the other, you know, I haven't been away from the wife and kids um, for this long since the war. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. Where are we going to go with that? The answer's nowhere. And uh, that is the way that a lot of that movie went. So they pick up this guy that's a hitchhiker, and it's based off of... Um, Uh, a real um, episode of this guy who's uh, Billy Cook, I think was his name, who was a real hitchhiker, murderer guy. He killed six people and tried to kill some others. Anyway, so this is, you know, they're not using the same names or anything, but it's kind of that same story. So this guy gets in the car and he's just kind of leading them along like, hey, I just need you guys to drive me over here, essentially, and then I'm going to kill you once we get there. Um, and so, it, it, what could be a really interesting story about if you just have three people essentially stranded in the desert together, and one is trying to, it has told them he's going to kill them, you know, how quickly do these people lose sanity or, you know, what kind of crazy shenanigans do they get up to? But unfortunately, it's very conventional. Mm. Um, you know, it just, and like at the end, it's like he just gets punched in the face and the cops take him away. It's like, oh, that was, I'm really glad I sat through an hour and a half. I was going to that. say, that, that so,
1: sounds like good. But it's not.
0: It it No, the premise is, is great. Um, but there's really very little, unfortunately, that is not just very bland B movie. Um, and uh, more's the pity. Um, but what do I know? I mean, it has been selected as being preservable by the National Film Registry. Sure. So I could be way off my I,
1: rocker. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Would you ever rewatch yeah. it again for any reason in your life? No,
0: no, not for one. Not for one reason. <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Never again. Well, how about you? What'd you watch?
1: Uh, I watched the Artists from 2011. Oh yes, um, yes. And, yes, and? I, yeah, well, it's really good. I don't know if that's like that's not a hot take, right? But like, uh, it's a movie that's interesting to watch right now as we're going through these 30s movies uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, similar to something like uh, Hail Caesar from the Coen Brothers or like a movie about uh, an era in Hollywood. Uh, we're, like, in that era with everything we're watching right now, and it, you know, it's about the transition from silent to talky, you know, and a character's reckoning with his, uh, uh, you know, obsolescence or whatever. Um, so yeah. I I found it to be really, uh you know, moving in an earned way, especially based on, like, I'm watching these real-life actors in these real movies, and, like, how many of them had to be feeling these types of things and going through that experience, mm. and... And more than that, like, you know, this is a fictionalized character that uh, uh, Jean Dujardin plays, and like, how many of those guys existed that we don't even like know about anymore? You know, that's that's what I kept right. thinking. Right. Right. Like, you know, uh, who uh, Peter Boyle. An M, right? Like he made it through the transition. He was in silent films, and then he became Peter a, Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre, Lorre right? Peter Boyle. Yeah, Peter Boyle is not a twinkle in no. any Peter's eye. Peter Boyle is like the dad on Everybody Loves Raymond, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's. But he's, he also has that good. Uh, he's in Taxi Driver. Remember yes. That? He's, he's, uh, yeah, that's like right. One of the other cab. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Uh, anyway, it's great. Uh, I don't know if I like. I don't know if I thought it was like. The masterpiece, like groundbreaking thing that everybody did, like when it came out. And I think some of that's maybe just when it came out, it's like they're releasing a silent film and it's going to be up for Oscar contention. Like that's kind of a novel idea there. There's just like a couple moments here and there where I feel like that that started to feel slightly more like a gimmick than uh, a form. You know, or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. That was the question I was going to ask. I was, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Did you feel that way when you watched it?
2: I haven't, I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Justin obviously didn't, I think, because in uh, off mic conversation he said that he had a really great audience and it was moved and all that. Uh, but again, I think a lot of that is you saw it in theaters and i saw it on my couch on a flat screen television which is like it's different
0: yeah david lynch is right yeah when he says you're fucking kidding yourself if you're watching (laughs) Mm -hmm. a movie on your smartphone yeah you know whatever that thing we watched of him yeah it's preposterous Um, but you you know i having that i think that is one of those movies where not just the screen size but having the collective audience the hive mind yeah. is uh, is definitely something that aids in the viewing. Um, I remember in the climax of that movie, you know, where it's not really clear if he's if he's killed himself. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. We just watched it, so hopefully. Okay. There's a fire. Uh, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the movie theater. Yeah. No, nobody was chewing on popcorn at that point. Mm-hmm. There were no more Pepsi's fizzing to fruition. It was silent in there, and I've really never had that experience in a movie theater. I will say um, I had that but,
1: experience one time, and you're going to hate me for bringing this up. Star Wars, in Titanic, the Last on, Jedi, Jesus. no, the Last Jedi. When the when the when
2: the silent scene,
1: yeah, when she goes oh, hyper she, not, hyper speed through the, the ship,
0: Mary, when she goes hyperdrive,
1: yeah, not, not in the audience we were in. Purple hair hyperdrive. I think not. when we <laughs> saw that, <laughs> Laura Dern goes purple hair hyperdrive. That's what that scene is called in the DVD menu. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that's
0: what I was consulting. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah, the okay. we saw that with a. I don't even remember what the crowd was like. I think they were fine. I don't remember them being bad. But when I saw it, I think, again, after that, yeah, I, I was yeah. with a, a really good crowd, and nobody was like, wait, what? During that like moment of silence. Um, and I can imagine in a <laughs> yeah. silent film, that, that, that's just, just like an opportunity.
0: You know, and that, and that movie being a silent film, I think is, it's great. It it does what it does very well, even if it does feel a little gimmicky, like you said. Yeah, um, but at does. the very end, when when John Goodman says his line, and you actually hear it, yeah. um okay so he says his line in, in at the end and in my opinion that's when the movie should be over but then they go to mr jean yeah and he has to say something too and he says it with his french accent which is okay but it kind of defeats the purpose for me right mm-hmm. because you've just spent an hour and a half trying to convince me that this is an american guy and then you know just the the um I guess on one hand, you'd go like, oh, that really upended my expectations. I thought he was a country bumpkin, but he's a fancy Frenchman. Yeah, And, you know, I, okay, whatever, that's fine. But to, to me, that's not, that my my critique is not that he's French. It's, as you know, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but rather that, uh, that was the end of the movie for me is when John Goodman spoke. That yeah. is a cut to black moment, mm-hmm. and they missed it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, it would have made a better last line. I think that, it's, it's to me. I forgave that little kind of speed bump because it's like this is honestly an era, and it happened. It happens in Hollywood all the time. It happened, you know, through the 20th century in filmmaking. Like actors would just lie about their ethnicity or their up uh, their background, right? Right. right? Because like mm-hmm. if you're like, you know, a Puerto Rican guy who has a certain shade of skin, but what they need is like. For this script they need like an Hispanic uh, or um an italian guy you know like an italian right. g- or like a, a joey character you know stereotypical italian like mm-hmm. i've heard stories of guys who just say like they changed their last name and they just they're italian you know so i feel like yeah. the french thing for me was like if they couldn't hear him and he kind of looked like clark gable done that's all that's what you needed back then but yeah uh it's sure sure definitely worth watching uh if you could just buy a movie theater first and project <laughs> it onto a screen, that would be the best thing. Okay, Your Sydney. problem. Yeah, you need to do it because I'm, I'm broke. Sydney, <laughs> what did you watch this week?
2: I watched Pennies from Heaven, 1981, I believe. Uh-huh. It is a lip sync musical, <laughs> which I know sounds like it shouldn't be good. But I actually really, really appreciated the use of lip syncing in this musical. I thought it was really interesting. It's Steve Martin. And he plays a sheet music salesman who.
1: (laughs) I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of what you just said.
2: (laughs) Steve Martin, Bernadette Peters.
1: It's like a jerk, the jerk, like reunion, right? Because they're both in that movie.
2: Right, but it's a very, very (laughs) different movie. (laughs) Um, Does it have um,
1: colon the jerk too? No. Okay.
2: But yeah, and he lives his life in this whole fantasy world through these lip sync musical numbers based on the songs that he sells. And so there's a very, very dark understory going on. And then very, very often, they will break into these lip synced songs. And some of them are direct references to other movies, uh, a lot of them by the choreographer that we're gonna talk about today. But um, it was a very it was it was a difficult experience <laughs> I'm trying I really am trying to formulate thoughts about it because I think it has a lot of stuff to say about the juxtaposition of very very joyful art against a very very dark time and people who were going through very, very dark Is it times.
1: a period piece yes okay yeah. it's like a 40s story that they I made think in it's the 30s 30s I Okay, think. That yes. they made it well this is we can't get out of the 30 s here we're mm-hmm. stuck I'm
2: pretty yeah actually. I'm almost certain it's the great depression. Okay. And the but a lot of a lot of it is about you know the interpersonal the, the interpersonal relationships that these people have and really kind of breaking the disillusionment of oh relationships were pure back then or mm. oh everything you know um, which I think it's really interesting, Fred Astaire famously hated the movie, even though some of his footage is in it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> he famously told Ginger Rogers not to see it. Nice. Um so yeah, it's a it's a it's a definite
1: Is the fir- okay, is the first time you heard about this movie when I sent you the clip of Christopher Walken? I didn't know it was it? from that movie. Okay. I
2: actually came upon a different clip where they recreate the let's face the music and dance scene. Okay. The the Fred and Ginger scene. And then I watched that because Steve Martin isn't in the clip that you sent me. That was...
1: That's just Christopher Walken in a bar. It's, it's Christopher yeah.
2: Walken in a bar. Um, he's
1: like amazing in that yeah, scene Yeah, he's, like, he's fantastic. He's yeah. fantastic.
2: And I watched that and I thought, oh, I've got to see this movie. And yeah. of course I read the YouTube comments <laughs> because the analysis there, I actually really enjoy that. I find...
1: Oh, God, <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, that's...
2: that. I, I love that kind of stuff. But...
1: It's crack for
0: me. It's very addicting. I love it. It's like the easy go to thing. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, blessed are you, Sydney, because I, I do not glean I feel very guilty after reading those comments. Yeah, and, but they uh, were all
2: talking this movie up and they, they really, really loved it, recommended it to me personally, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Six years before I showed up at the video. Yeah. Um and and yeah, and then I made the connection that that scene that you sent me was from it. So
0: and is Pennies from Heaven a movie you'd ever watch again? Yeah, that's a good question.
2: I would want to watch it with someone who hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> like, oh, that's a good question. I, I would want okay. to I would but I wouldn't be watching the movie, I'd be watching them. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, watch someone watch a movie. That's always good. Okay. Well, I mean, Ginger Rogers, Busby Berkeley, a musical. Uh there's no better segue. Let's let's get into forty second street, <laughs> shall we? Shall we? We shall. Okay, let's start off um, with a little bit of introduction info and our experience with the film. So I have just some typical credits uh, directed by Lloyd Bacon, who I don't... I think of all the people who will come up later on, Lloyd Bacon may not be, uh, you know, coming back over and over. um, His name, anyway. Uh, Busby Berkeley, choreographer. That's the more significant name in this case. And then it's based on a novel. Who cares? I think pretty much in this case because it's not—it's—it's <laughs> it's not like some the like English
2: major cares. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, you're both English majors. Oh, former. Well, he's a former English major, right? Uh, is that right, or am I saying that wrong? What is that? What is that? I didn't, I, you know, because often people
0: will say things and I just go along with it like, <laughs> yeah, and then later it's like, I, I don't know what they meant. So I don't even know. What is a former English major? Does that mean I recanted of the English <laughs> faith?
1: It means you got a degree and you, yeah, you thought that it was against your uh, your ideology and your morals now. So you, mm-hmm. you you threw it into the volcano, you know, and you. Yeah, it. and
0: I took up the way of the Mandalore. Yeah. No, I, nice. I did. I did succeed and getting an English degree so I does that make me former I okay. mean you still you have know what agree, right? I think it's still valid Shut I don't up. think it expires
1: <laughs> okay okay. Uh, okay
0: I see where this is going yeah anyway it was a trap
1: it what I'm trying to say English majors is that it's not some sweeping literary adaptation yeah it's this is not well that's where you're wrong okay <laughs> no you're right uh, cast, we have, uh, Julian Marsh played by Warren Baxter. We have Dorothy Brock played by B.B. Daniels, Pat Denning, George Brent, uh, and the, you know, obviously Ginger Rogers as Anne, which is actually a pretty, pretty small part, fun, funnily enough, when she, she, she would go on to be one of the, one of the bigger names that came out of this. But, uh, Abner Dillon is notable. Uh, obviously he shows up. And that's Guy Kibby, which is kind of a great. And Ruby, you said Ruby, right? And, uh, Ruby? Who's Ruby? Oh yeah, Ruby Keeler, plays Peggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of. I don't know if you call those all principal characters because we'll, ensemble cast. We'll, yeah, <laughs> it's an ensemble cast feel more than anything. That's, I, I would say for me, uh, Julian Marsh's character feels like the center, if there is one, and then BB Daniels feels like the you know if you have to have a, a female and male lead sort of picked. Those feel like them uh justin what's your experience with 42nd street
0: had never seen it before and probably never would have uh watched it um even if i was stranded somewhere with unlimited access to films uh of all varieties and eras and national origins uh except that you recommended it i think and so I hold you accountable and responsible for what's coming.
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, that sounds foreboding. Uh, I've never seen this movie either, just to set the record straight. I saw it on stage because after the movie, it was like in the 80s, I think. Early 80s. Early 80s. Yeah, it was adapted for the stage, which...
2: Gower Champion directed, I think. Who? Uh, Gower Champion. I okay. Think was
1: the so... Full disclosure, I enjoyed my stage experience a lot more than my screen experience with this movie. I also think there's a lot rolled into that, though. I mean, I I, I love live theater. That's a preference thing. Also, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Sydney will have something to say about this. That is not exactly like what I'm thinking. But movie musicals in like the early '30s, just from a technical narrative like everything all in one right they're figuring out how to do talking films they're figuring out how to do musicals on screen you know people have seen a million musicals uh, you know um on the stage and now they're like well this is what sells we gotta we gotta film it put on so there's some of that here um so yeah i've seen it on stage first time on screen sydney what was your experience with 42nd street
2: definitely danced some of the numbers um through my tap and broadway training Had never seen it on stage in its entirety, though, um, before. But I definitely think, unlike Justin, it was in my movie future. (laughs) Um, Just as someone who was going through this and and also someone who's um, currently a lyricist for a composer with a musical that's of this era. And so I was already kind of making my way through them. And like you said, yeah, they're very different, I think, than the conventional musicals we think of now. Even more different even different from the stuff you see in the fifties, of yeah. course. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the songs are used differently. The songs mm-hmm. are actual production numbers. They're not really the inner feelings of the characters. For example, this is a play within a play kind of thing. Right. And all of the songs, I believe, are from the play within a play, which we never find out very much about plot-wise, definitely. It's called, <laughs> it's called it's Pretty called Lady. Pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't learn much about it. Yeah. But all the songs are supposed to be from that. And, but I, I did know about, and I knew of the stage adaptation. Mm-hmm. I knew how it ended. I knew the, the songs and the numbers. And so I was sitting there at the end, waiting for Lullaby of Broadway. And it never happened. Never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited. I was ready for this character to turn around, and it never happened. And this movie it was just sad.
1: We'll get there, right? But it just ends.
2: It just ends. <laughs> it's like ripping. I up kind of a bit. love it, but it just ends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: any other intro notes from either of you that that are essential? I mean, I don't. Other than the fact that it's an early sta- screen musical, uh, we have obviously the biggest name here being Busby Berkeley because of the choreography and what he would go on to do influentially to film you know uh in in a lot of ways any other notes there before we move on yeah just by way of by
0: by way of preface um if you were to take us into different categories us being the the people on this podcast and put us into pro musical or anti-musical i think travis it sounds like maybe you'd be more kind of neutral i mean i understood you you said with your own lips and mouth parts that you were uh, a fan of musicals um, but I, although I grew up with musicals, I've never been uh, especially attached to them. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, I find myself detached from them. Um, and then we have we have Sydney, who is um, it's her, her her bread and butter. This is part of her lifeblood. Um, so I, I think that will inform, uh, hopefully, in a in a in a fun way, uh, the different parts of the pie. Agreed. We're going to take out. Yes, um,
1: let's eat the pie together. <laughs> All right, this is our what's it saying section. This is just where we talk about the movie. It's not anything fancy, but um, I, I'm going to try my best and uh, I'm going to let Justin and Sydney fill in the gaps if, I, if they think there are any. Um, I don't see this as when it's good being good because the story is so good i think this is in in a lot of ways uh, it's so much an ensemble piece that it's hard it's hard to like really attach yourself to one character or like really throw all your emotional weights and cares into one particular character and it succeeds at saying a, a, a kind of a broad sweeping thing about show business and people and um, ca- like careers and and coming to an end and and starting and all that. Mm-hmm. But plot wise, right, we have basically actresses uh, coming into the show. This is Julian Marsh's last show. We know he has a uh, he's had a previous nervous breakdown. His doctor said, "Don't do another show." He's like lost all his money, uh, and there's obviously depression era themes in the the fact that he feels like this is his financial desperation and a lot of he says like i'm going to take the money from this show and bury it so deep no one will ever be able to find it so he has this motivating drive to make this his best show and most profitable show ever uh and then among those uh uh, that ensemble we have dorothy brock who's um a well-known established actress probably on her way out compared to uh uh Ruby Keeler's character Peggy, right? Am I? If you, if I get the names wrong, you're gonna say something and fix it.
2: I'm scanning my notes. Nah. thank you. But I will try to listen for errors. <laughs>
1: Pe- Peggy is the the tap dancing the young one. one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so the she's n- the new one. Yeah, she she's the new one exactly. And more than once, it's like this is my first show. We get it. <laughs> this is your first show. She's up and coming. Dorothy's on her way out, uh, and then we have you know a wealthy producer financier involved who's, you know, attached to the star, but not really uh, real love happening there. And then um, a couple side characters who are just, I don't know, I don't know if you feel different than me, but like they're, they're very colorful and interesting, but they don't really, they're not there to push much along other than uh, Ginger Rogers moment right. near the end. Right. Um, so this is a story about making a play come to life from nothing and about careers on the line. And, and, and I think that's it for me pretty much like at the really? a- yeah. And I'm waiting for you to, for you to enlighten me. Is it about more than that?
2: It's about so much more than that. <laughs> okay, go. <laughs> I love that you brought up obsolescence. Obs, Wow. Do you see how excited I was for that sentence and it just didn't happen?
1: (laughs) You really wanted to say obsolescence.
2: I wanted to say obsolescence, but it didn't quite happen. But I'm really glad that you brought it up earlier with the artist because I think that this movie is really trying to do that. There's a lot of cycles going on in here. There's a lot of, like you said, beginnings, endings. I really like Dot as a character. I think that she's really interesting and very, I would say, unique for the time. I don't know if I'm really saying that on a whole lot of authority, but watching it, um, another movie about the transition from silent to talking films, Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. I expected her to be a Nora... No, it's, it's not Nor- Norma. Norma-like character, where she was bitter, where she was disillusioned, almost to the point of madness. That kind of character. I think that that's what we've come to expect, but Dot's not like that at all. Um, and so I really like the... The turnaround that she has, even even though the broken ankle thing, I think you can read a little bit as a cliche. Maybe it wasn't at the time, but we don't, you know, hard to put ourselves in the shoes of that audience or in the seats of that audience. But I absolutely love that scene towards the end where she says, and I'm sure I'm going to slaughter the line, but <laughs> she she says, "I want you to go out there and be so swell that you make me hate you."
1: That's the best line. Is of the, the whole best movie,
2: line though. of the whole movie. And that's the last thing she says, I believe. That's the last time we see her. I, I think, think that's right. Yeah, that's the last. That's the last time we see her. And I think that at least the way that what I come away from that with is we don't know if she is happy. I right. don't think that we know. I don't think we're supposed to know. Um, and then we can go all through dissecting that 42nd Street number and everything there. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's there's so much going on non-verbally there that I think is fantastic. But. I'm sure that we will we will find a place to launch into that. We're a little bit yeah. more thematically there, but okay.
1: So Sydney thinks it's about more than what I said. That was to
2: counter your t- your talk about the characters. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Justin, I'm ca- on
1: characters things. and plot. What what's your first first dip into the pool? What did you What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I I
0: think it's uh, it's a unique movie in that it it seems to show show business for what it is, or at least was in that time period, and it's not. It's not very glamorous. I mean, the um, the audition process for the when they're trying to find the two hundred dancers, um, especially the, we kind of as the audience are given more, much more insider information on how um, the women involved in that production were hired and, and trained, etc. But it's very, it's very, w- without being uh, graphic or trying to be a kind of call to action movie, um, it, it portrays that process as pretty demeaning. Um, uh to to the women. Um and and it's kind of interestingly it's kind of countered. Um I'm thinking of one one portion of the movie when who's that wonderful character that says Quiet please you know like Um, every every time a few of
1: them do that in succession. That's (laughs) really good snappy timing. I was going to bring up the cigar chomping guy. I don't know his name, but he's great. Like there's, there's a couple good side characters. I don't know if that's the guy Mm -hmm. you're talking about, but there's a couple like lackey assistant directors, whoever they are. And whenever, yeah, whenever Julian Marsh says anything, it's like everybody quiet down, everybody quiet down, everybody quiet. They like just, they're just (laughs) parroting each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's just, it's interesting to, this is a little bit more thematic than, than plot, but it's interesting to note how, how different, um, Women are treated in show business versus out of show business and and women versus men yeah. um, in that environment. So sorry if I'm putting the cart before the horse there, but that's where that's where the eggs. No, in we're, basket are.
1: we're anything. It's a free for all here. But I agree. It, like I, I briefly mentioned this. It's it forces you to come to terms with. Like a 30 sensibility about men and women over and over and over again and about women in show business and a little bit about men in show business. But really, you don't get a lot of uh, time with the, like the male dancers in the show. There's just a couple
2: just a couple scenes. but And it's a bit meta as well, because that's likely how the women were chosen for this movie. They, yeah. there's, um, right. you know, interviews with um, Busby Berkeley about how he would hand select the dancers. There wasn't, wow. uh, there wasn't really um, like a a process like that. And he said that he would disagree with a lot of the women that they would choose. And then he would always get the final say. Um, so it's interesting mm. because I think anytime you try to do a kind of, this isn't movie, a movie about movies, but, you know, when you have dancers uh, in a line, things like that. Um, almost getting a little chorus liney here, but um, mm. th- but there's going to be that interesting juxtaposition of okay, if it's if there's any kind of audition in there, then that process was replicated to create the movie, mm-hmm. and all of the failures and all of you know, everything that goes along with that happened.
1: This is like I, th- you're gonna know way more about this than me, which is great. This is like the stuff you hear about the Rockettes, where like they have to be legit within mm-hmm. like centimeters of each other. Um, obviously, like it, I don't know how you feel about this. I know Justin hinted at it, but like I would, I was just feeling gross at times, right? Watching, right, like a bunch of angry men just tell <laughs> women to twirl and like all of that. Uh, what, what does it? What is the experience like for you? You've been in dance and choreography and in shows uh, and performance. Been, it's in- difficult
2: for me because all of the directors I've had in dance specific things have been women. Mm -hmm. So that definitely puts me at a bit of a disadvantage, um, talking about that particular experience and that kind of cattle call environment is really only an environment I've been in maybe once or twice. Mm Um, I'm, you know, that that's definitely more for chorus kind of Broadway things less so than it is for, um, the kinds of stuff that I'm involved in. But I have auditioned people before. Yeah. And, and that's. Were, were
1: you a chauvinist, gross, <laughs> creepy jerk?
2: I don't think so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. That's um, good. Glad to hear no, it. No,
2: but it's definitely, uh, you know, someone who's studying this as something to get into in the future. It's definitely conversations that we have all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely, yeah, I think it, it depends a lot on what you're doing, what look you're going for and the people at, this time we're going for a very, very specific look yeah. and they're trying to achieve something that is really frankly unachievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about that. That's, a, that's, that's kind of a, just yeah, a no, general, I don't want
1: to be so bummed out or anything, but it's,
2: it's, it's kind of just a, a general, yeah. a general comment, not necessarily a movie specific thing. Well, but. And,
0: you know, I would say kind of on the, uh, there's subtle clues in there, maybe not a lot, but there's subtle clues that even though I would, I would agree with both of you and that, um, I I'm not in favor of the uh, the mistreatment of women uh, as represented in this film, but the agency of women in this movie is is kind of an interesting thing to talk about. I think so. Again, let's go back to the guy that says uh, "quiet, please," you know, um, and and he's you know he says he says to to all the females on stage at one time, "Hey, you know, shut up or something." Where where do you think you are? Home, and uh, and everyone ignores him though. So you um, contrast that with when the director calls his gangster friend, who has a really great '30s gangster name like Slim, Murphy Slim, Slim something,
2: Slim <laughs> you know? something. Yeah, they picked it out of a hat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Rolodex of gangster names. Yes. A fedora. Uh, and yeah, fedora. Yeah. So, so he calls that guy, and that guy is like at the you know the pool hall or you know wherever, and he's on the phone. And he says he says, "Shut up! What do you think I have earphones on?" And the room goes silent, and it's an all male room. And so, although show business and gangster lifestyle, a little different, you know, probably if you don't listen to the boss, you might get your knees broken or something. Um, I do think it's interesting. So, so that's, that's one environment where you have the men that are willing to shut up and listen to one guy, but then you have these women over here that, that are told to shut up and that don't, which to me indicates they do possess some power because if they, if they were totally stripped of all power altogether, they would have shut up too. Yeah. But they do have some agency, and without them, the show cannot go on. They cannot go find 200 people like that. Um, and so, I mean, that's not a huge, yeah, that no. was not the point of the movie, but it was there.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, some of this some of this is, is seeping in now as we're talking about it, not while I was watching it. Um, but I have one note that I want to read verbatim, and then I'm pretty sure it's going to transition right to Sydney. Uh, Ginger Rogers, comma, nice monocle.
2: <laughs> that was a note. What did I have? I had a note that included the word monocle as well.
1: Yeah. How could it not? How yeah. could it not? What did you think about Jesus? I wanted
2: Roger? to be her the entire time. <laughs> I've, ne- I mean, it was like the movie screen turned into a mirror. I saw myself. It was powerful.
1: <laughs> in, in the reflection of her monocle? In
2: the reflection of her monocle. I love that character. You- I didn't understand yeah, why. Okay.
1: That's. I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted you to explain have, to me what, what is in she depth, doing. I
2: have in-depth analysis uh. of most other elements of the movie. Ginger Rogers, she evades me. Yeah.
0: So I, I think the monocle. I, if like if no one else has anything to say about the monocle, and then please please say what you're going to say. It's it, to me that was just a part of her the transatlantic, uh, you know, accent or whatever she was doing. I think or the faux British accent. And and I and I think the monocle was maybe trying to to sell uh, that that persona that she was doing totally. But even when that accent fell off, uh, the monocle didn't for some reason. So I don't know. Maybe they're like, "Hey, good looking, Ginger. Keep that monocle on. That's yeah. that's that's gonna sell more tickets." Yeah. It's a
1: good bit, right? When the monocle falls out and she steps on it and she just pulls a spare yes. out. It's, that's a good bit. I mean, it's I excellent. don't. Again, I don't understand it, but I'm kind of. Okay I don't need with to. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But what I, what I was going to say was, you were on the topic of the portrayal of women, and I am just, I have been trying to segue us to the final musical numbers for a while. and Go for it. And we've got that scene in the final number, the 42nd Street number, the choreographed domestic violence scene, mm-hmm. which I think is very, very, um, it, it resonates a lot with a, with a theme in really any kind of dance and choreography is everything ends up being pretty. Um, yeah. You know, unless you intentionally make it not, and I've seen that uh, been done a lot. And I think that there's so much going on in that in those final. There's moments. literally a
1: lot going on. I'm not talking about like narratively, thematically, but like yeah. there's like a thousand people moving and a thousand different. Like Busby Berkeley is an insane person.
2: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't. But what I love is the progression of the dance scenes in this movie because you see it at the beginning. We start at the audition, Mm -hmm. they're disorganized. There's not a whole lot of dancing going on. We go through all of the rehearsals, again, disorganized, a thousand different sounds coming from the tap shoes of many, many different people. We slowly see things begin to coalesce into something presentable. And then what we end up seeing isn't really what's being rehearsed, right? That's
1: what I find interesting. And then
2: we have three scenes, the first one, is the shuffle off to buffalo
1: mm-hmm.
2: scene which is very pantomime not very dancy i love it but it's something that, that feels like just filming something on stage right yeah. it feels very much something that's being filmed on stage the you, second you one you see more
1: of the seams of the set pieces and yes. like when things come the on the trains
2: and, incredible when it opens
1: yeah okay the set pieces are ridiculous yes. like if you've ever worked at all in theater in any capacity and then you watch the last like 20 minutes of it's this incredible. movie you're like How the crap did they do half of that stuff? Yes. I don't want to stop you, but I just want to say the sets are cool.
2: (laughs) Right. Um and then we go to Young and Healthy, I believe, is the oh it's Young and Healthy or something very, very similar. Yeah. It's the one where they're on the circular. Yes, with a very, very famous leg shot. And
1: Yes. Which is which is aped in the Big Lebowski. Did you catch that, uh, Justin? Oh.
0: <laughs> Not until you said
1: that. Yeah, that, it's like yeah, verbatim. Yeah. It's like yeah. you know they go th- right through the legs and then. I don't he, think that's the only yeah.
2: time that they've done that either. I'm and sure that there's more. Well,
1: there's a whole sequence in The Big Lebowski, which is like it is a Busby Berkeley yeah, like. Yeah. Dream, oh, he's
2: been he's been quoted.
1: Dream sequence. Everywhere. It's yeah. really well done, but that the leg thing especially is like so obviously from 40 seconds. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but then that that scene, we progress from something that could just be filmed on stage to something that uses the cinematic art form to its full potential with dance. And Busby Buzz, Buzz Berkeley um, started on Broadway. He started as a Broadway right. choreographer, but as soon as he transitioned into film, he thought of them as two completely different mediums. As I, And I would agree with that. I think that you should. He thought of them as two completely different mediums. And there's all these anecdotes about the, the amount of control he wanted to have mm-hmm. over his his sequences. And I think it's really, really evident in that sequence, whereas that's something that's supposed to be happening on stage, but we've progressed from the shuffle off to Buffalo scene and now it's surreal. You can't take the audience I mean this this is this is a quote from you can't take the audience into the rafters where he was and there's this hilarious story where when he first came up with the very, very famous shot down on the radial symmetry.
1: Yeah, it's like synchronized swimming on stage. Yes.
2: Um he was up there in the rafters looking down and somebody went. What 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 are you what are you doing up there? <laughs> what are you doing up there, Buzz? And uh, and he said, Oh, you know, you just you can't you can't take them you can't take them you can't take them up here, can you? And he said, No. And then the guy just goes, You better not, you better not, put the camera up there, and film stuff from below. And he said, No, 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 I won't. And and the quote in it where, from from, from uh, where I found this from, it says, quote, I said no, comma, I won't quote but i did <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good what i think it's incredible but then you get to 42nd street which there's no that's not a stage at that point no not a stage it starts off and you think it is and she's dancing for a while and then suddenly
1: uh, yeah it's, cars
2: under bridges it's <laughs> people wild. everywhere
1: justin what did you incredible what did you as a as the least musical uh 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 you know savvy person. and I don't want to make you sound dumb, but like, uh, you're not dumb. You're smart. And I like you. Uh, what did you think of like the last 25, 30 minutes where you really get to see the scope and and sequence of, of Busby Berkeley as much as I am not someone
0: who, um, is overly fond of, um, musicals. It's still, it, it is kind of mesmerizing some of those shots from, from above, you know, some of the set pieces, um, you know, and so my reaction after that is kind of neither here nor there, I think. Um, but it is, it's, it's effective. Um, I, I think that is the, that, that is what it's supposed to do, right? That medium is, is, um, largely visually based. Um, and, and I think it succeeds at what it tries to do. It doesn't really translate into my enjoyment of it, but I don't think that's really objective and not yeah. really.
1: No, that's, that's fair. I think, uh, what we're, what we're kind of coming to, not that the point of this, conversation podcast whatever is that we come to a consensus because that would be boring um i think what i'm coming to terms with is that this movie makes you and the thing that doesn't stop is like women are at least attempted to be taken advantage of it's like from the first scene all the way through pretty close to the end until you get into the actual music oh and in, inside the musical number there's a yes. sc- there's a scene of domestic abuse as you as you already said and she gets stabbed too. and she gets stabbed <laughs> and thrown out a window or she jumps she jumps she jumps, she yeah. jumps and she's caught that is ridiculous yes. when she jumps and she gets caught like an inch from the ground so cool anyway uh is it it, it kept making me face something that i you know i acknowledge as a reality but i don't want to think about over and over right
2: and uh, i think that acknowledging as it as a reality again i know i've brought up this art imitating life kind of thing but when you look at the people who were involved in the kinds of things that are being said especially in that last number that line in the lyrics again i i love lyricism it's another thing i'm very very interested in that line the big parade goes on for years it's a rhapsody of laughter and tears 42nd street again what is a parade but one person following another following another down a street right 42nd street that's that was those that was their experience I mean um, when you look at the lyricist, he wrote that song it's funny because you hear a lot of pop songs nowadays and they'll talk about being addicted to you or you're a drug to me and yet we have this song in 1933 that's saying the exact same thing the lyricist struggled with a lot of addictions including mm. drugs and alcohol and then you have. This scene at the end where we've seen a woman be replaced by someone younger than her, and she seems to be content with it, but we don't really know. We see Julian Marsh, right? He's on his last show and he's worrying about his legacy. We see that the very, very first scene we have him in, right? And then Bugsy Berkeley himself, his aesthetic started to fade in popularity, in demand. It started to fade, and he got Incredibly despondent, had a suicide attempt in which he said, afterwards, that the reason that what drove him to the desperation he did was there is no comeback trail for a has been. Mm. With the idea that again, it comes back to obsolescence and all of that cycling through, right? And it's interesting because you guys have talked a lot about this being, um, especially because you're you're doing this in a decade oriented kind of format yeah. um as being representative of the musicals of its era, mm-hmm. kind of pulling it out of a lot of the other musicals that Bugsy Berkeley did, um, Footlight Parade and others, um, as it's as the representative of all of these musicals. Yeah. And yet you keep coming back to that line where it's no, it's a parade and mm-hmm. we are at the end of that parade. Yeah. Right? We are the next people following through. And you have to be super careful with All the kinds of stuff that's that's being said here because you're not immune from it. Yeah, you're absolutely not immune from it. It doesn't matter what time period you're in. It doesn't matter. Everything is still there. And that's what I was thinking about the whole time as I was watching all those last scenes, you know, put it in color and put them in different clothes. It's completely believable. You could pass it for today, I think.
1: Yeah. Justin, how do you think it? the overall like the story, the aesthetic, all of that? Does it does it? end up being an effective like mix for you in the end. Yes and no. Um, To me,
0: it is kind of like the musical 1930s version of a Tarantino movie. Mm. And so obviously I, I don't mean that. I mean, it is pre-code, right? And there are lots of winks and nods and even some kind of more graphic dialogue um, than is kind of common for that era. But it, it's, a, it's a movie that, that seems to kind of um, show you its world and say this is just what it is and it doesn't, it doesn't try to clean it up. It lets it be dirty when it's dirty, but it doesn't, it doesn't go to the trouble of trying to make a statement about that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and so what I'm kind of left with is the impression that the movie basks in its own kind of ambivalence. Um, it, everyone is kind of promiscuous with everyone because that's apparently just the industry then. Um, and that's just life. And there's not really the, the moral compass of this movie is very it's very similar to Tarantino in my mind because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't try to make a point other than just like hey the world's dirty and gross here's a little uh, here here's some insider story on how how dirty and gross we can be. All right, hope you had fun. See you later. Yeah,
1: I think that's a that's that's where I was at too. Like I it's it's not like it's saying anything. That, that like rings as untrue to me. Like, mm-hmm. but it, it it is, I guess, you know, I like, uh, you know, ambiguous question asking and not answering stories yeah. as much as the next guy. But I don't know, when it comes to something like what I kept seeing over and over, which is like these women just want to work in show business and in every sort of little slice, you know, when it comes to the financier, when it comes to, the audition process, when it comes to the rehearsals, when it comes to the final product, or even that that sequence where Julian Marsh is like, you know, getting uh, uh, P- Peggy um, like ready for the show in a few hours, I was just like, mm-hmm. I was just like, I wanted to, I wanted to die. Watching I have a moment
2: that. I want to ask both of you about. Okay, there's a moment right before the f- i believe it's right before the 42nd street number where ginger rogers' character walks in and i believe she's talking to the the financier and she she says oh she's swell she's great and he says who mm. that is to me foreshadowing of what happens afterwards honestly because why why shouldn't peggy go down the exact same road dot did mm. with the same ambiguous kind of thing yeah and then also what do you guys make of the very very ending
1: yeah, I, okay, well, let, well I'm going to serve this up to Justin before mm-hmm. we get into our last section. The The best part of the movie, to me, my fa- I'm going to say the best, my favorite thing to watch is Julian Marsh in this story because that's the mm, more, uh, I don't know, it's easier for me to identify with a guy who feels like he could be failing and is desperate to succeed and uh, a, beautiful sad ending for his character like the i wish uh, he
2: had a tad more to do
1: uh kind of throughout that's what i feel like like it's it's Mm -hmm. a little bit spread thin character wise in general but when he's on screen i feel like his performance is excellent like he's he's way committed and i don't know how many blood vessels he popped in his (laughs) forehead uh but i love the last moment with him yeah, where he makes a successful show out of nothing, out of all these ridiculous circumstances, and uh, you know, a day before the star breaks her ankle, and he pretty much from his mind, right? I'm not gonna give him this credit, but from his mind, like single-handedly brings this thing to life, right? And he isn't what they're talking about no. as they're leaving the theater. No, it's it is so good. And it's fantastic. I, yeah, Justin, what did you what did you think about uh, all all the, kind of the last Uh, Julian Marsh stuff.
0: Yeah, big fan of Julian Marsh. But before I get too much into that to answer kind of Sydney's other question is I, you know, before you said that, Sydney, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think that is kind of the inevitable conclusion for her character is that Mm -hmm. now she is this headlining big Broadway star. um, And although she is pretty naive, um, she's not that naive because she locks the door when Pat Denning takes her Mm -hmm. home and puts her in that spare bedroom. So um, she, she does. She does know, I think, the reality of the kind of situations that she puts herself in and now being thrust kind of literally into the spotlight, I think, does mean that she's yeah, she's going to end up. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the movie makes any any attempt to say that her fate is going to be different in um, with regard to, to Julian. Yeah, I, I'm with Travis. I don't know that it's necessarily because he's a male, um, although I guess he maybe is more relatable to me because he is a male. Uh, but he's, he seems to me that he's given a lot more to do, um, at least in terms of just acting and being a character and, and watching him go through the story. For him, it's not all about just like, how am I going to perform in this play? I can't wait to keep getting paid and go on stage. His character is, you know, stressing out over losing all his money in the Great Depression. His character is not sure if he's going to even make it literally to survive to see this, this show go on. Um, and it's no wonder why really, I mean, the guy's having an aneurysm and an ulcer every time he's on screen <laughs> and to, you know, kind of, sorry if I'm echoing you too much, Travis, but I was really impressed. Just, I, I think I kind of relate to him too, cause, um, you know, Travis, we've tried a couple other artistic things, certainly not of the scale of this character.
1: We did um, have that one failing, bad, failing Broadway show.
0: <laughs> right. Well, besides that, yeah. um, yeah yeah, yeah, it's just it it can be uh, very discouraging. That's the temptation at least. And so he felt a little bit relatable, I think, in that way. and um, to yeah. to see it, for me the ending, yeah, I would agree with you both. He doesn't get the credit and and is he yearning for that? I think everyone is when they're in that kind of position. They want to at least get one at a boy or at a girl. But I, I take his kind of smirk at the end, you know, and that kind of mm-hmm. the head hanging down. As, as more of a relief. I think there's a sense of finality there where he really is, this hasn't injected him with a new desire. This this show from hell hasn't given him some kind of new lease to go do this more. To me, it's it's like he's able to to take off his, his overcoat after the storm and say, okay, well, I did that. I guess it didn't really work out the way I wanted it yeah. to, but it's over now. And so I, I find that even... Even though I would agree, you could read it as kind of ambivalent. Um, I I view that as real closure for that character. Um, And I think that is, at least directorially, where the director thought this is the center of the story. And that's why he ended there.
2: Yeah, I love the fact that it's an ensemble cast because to me, I don't have to pick out a male and female lead. To me, it's a collection of people who have found themselves together. And they're either staring obsolescence in the face or they're staring obscurity in the face. They either want to be successful or they want to stay successful. And they all react in very different ways, just like the people who worked on this movie, including. I think it's funny that we talk about the ending that Julian had when at the very, very beginning we started this by saying that we don't really know the director of this movie very well. (laughs) Right.
1: Lloyd Bacon, (laughs) the name that just comes back over and over again. It's like Frank Capra, Steven Spielberg, Lloyd Bacon.
2: But, you know, now Mm -hmm. I want to seek out his work. I'm (laughs) going to do it. I think you should. I don't. I
1: I honestly, with what you've said about Busby Berkeley and uh, I I, I, I question, like, right, because I'm looking at this um, and I'm thinking, like, from a directorial point of view, like, there's nothing glaringly bad here to me. But also a lot of it just has that like serviceable early talking movie feel. And then like there's a couple flares. Like I'm not talking about the sequences at the end where like it doesn't really matter where you put the camera. Like it's going to look amazing. Mm-hmm. And obviously where they put the camera is a good choice too. But
2: Yeah. And but, he like, used one camera so no editor could put in their own <laughs> <that's> shots. <laughs>
1: ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But like there's there's one. And after you said the thing about Busby Berkeley and the Raptors, mm-hmm. this shot is different to me. There's a great cinematography choice near the end it's like in the last 30 40 minutes where you know julian's like pacing backstage and it's it's, it's like a dutch angle from overhead down mm. over the top of the stage it's beautiful it's really well composed and now i'm thinking like that's the busby berkeley angle right because <laughs> he was up on the rafters but yeah, yeah i think um this is a this is a quality movie uh and i i don't think anybody came here today to tell people that it's it's garbage i do think um, we can we can sum it all up in our final concise thoughts in our section called is it worth your time All right, let's uh, just go around the figurative table here uh, once more. At the end here, we like to give uh, as concise as possible uh, our final thoughts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you could only hear the look he gave me. Yeah,
1: it's a good, it's a good look. Uh, and then the question is on this show: it's not how many stars out of five. But you say that for your letterbox it's not thumbs up thumbs down it's not your rotten tomato score it is how often would you rewatch this movie because i think that's
2: a i object to this metric more, <laughs>
1: good that's why we brought you on because you would object to the final metric of the show <laughs> uh so let's start with justin
0: yeah it's uh again to kind of recap some of my previously stated thoughts it's It's not it's not an amazing movie in the sense that you are probably not going to be moved, in my opinion, to to take action or to um, change your life or go pursue a career on Broadway. Even Um, it it is a movie ultimately that is very visceral. It's very sensual and it wants to kind of just give you an inside glimpse in this world for an hour and a half. And then, you know, whatever you make of that is what you make of it. And you're kind of kicked on your way. Um, So would I rewatch it again? Probably not. This isn't a movie that I uh, regret watching by any means. Um, It's it's a tight production. Again, uh, some of the the visuals, especially in the last 16 minutes or whatever, are really uh, impressive by any any um, decade standards. Um, Nevertheless, I, I prefer movies to uh, at least if they're going to tell me that the world's dirty, then then fully commit to that um, if they want to indulge in that. And if they don't, please tell me that they don't. So the, the kind of um, the winking ambivalence uh, of the movie was not appreciated by this viewer. Uh, but that's just opinion. <laughs> this sounds like a um, letter to so- the editor now. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't rewatch it, but on the on that same coin, same side, don't even flip it over. Don't flip it because we're not going to get to that side. Uh, same side of that coin. I, I wouldn't discourage people necessarily from watching it, especially if it's somebody that that likes musicals um, and and wants to kind of see the the history, maybe of, of where some of uh, where modern musicals came from.
1: Wonderful. I'm gonna. Graciously give myself the last word and ask Sydney <laughs> her her thoughts.
2: Well, I think I've said a lot already. Um, you know, I tried to I tried to spread it out, but as soon as I finished it and I was listening to those lyrics, I watched it with subtitles on. I really felt like I had to watch it again. Um, I immediately felt that there was something more happening, and then, of course, I realized. And learned that a lot of times those musical numbers were created completely independently from the rest of the script and the rest of the movie. And so there's not necessarily supposed to be a lot of connection, but I I just kept seeing them. And so I I don't necessarily believe that. But my, my philosophy has been for a while that I really view what people create as really a reflection of them. That's why I talk so much about the people who create them. And so after seeing this and seeing the scale to which this was performed and seeing the The honesty, the kind of uncomfortable honesty that I saw, I want to know the people who created this better. And I think that in a very redundant cyclical way, the best way to do that is to view what they created again. And so I I would watch this again. How often? How often? This
1: is like, because like, okay, (laughs) the the scale, I don't know why this always comes up, Justin, people are going to think we're a Schindler's List podcast. Schindler's List is a great movie, (laughs) but I'm not watching it once a year. It's a bummer. You know what I right. mean? Like and that's one reason not to rewatch something over and over and over again. Okay. But it's not for lack of quality. So okay. the question is like
2: How often? Yeah, and for what like And for what reason?
1: Yeah, like I watch I watch Christmas Vacation every year, once a year, because it's a <laughs> great Christmas movie. Right. But yeah.
2: Okay, that's fair. I would say that obviously I would watch the last 20 minutes of it more often than I would watch the rest of it.
1: Okay. That's a good answer.
2: I can see myself because I already know that I've done this since I've watched it, um, seeking that out and watching it as a source of inspiration as you know, all of that. So, but the whole movie in its entirety, probably not too often. I think that I would explore other things from this era by the same creators before I would watch this movie again. Okay,
1: great. Uh, I think, I had a reasonably enjoyable time watching this as a, a, a our medium fan of musicals. I don't know even what that means, <laughs> but uh, I like musicals. This is not if you like musicals and you're like, I'm gonna watch this old musical that seems like it's, it's important. It's not that. <laughs> I, no. I wrote down like 15 no. minutes. There are no songs. No, fantastic. No songs, and then it keeps going and going and going, and like you get three songs at the end and just pieces like before. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if that's what you're looking for, it's it's not it's it's not that, but it is an interesting, uh, albeit at times, even though it's more, uh, um, uh, what's the word? It's more implicit than anything else. It's not like overtly uh, trying to rub your face in what's ugly about show business or what yeah. the process looks like for women and all the different kind of areas. It, it is. Implicit with a heavy hand, um, and so I, I would say it's a good look at something that's very un- unfortunately true. Um, I probably won't rewatch this uh, for five years. That's the number I pulled out of my head just now. I'm gonna wow. go. I'm um, five year break.
2: I saw it, the number that. get pulled in real time.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I opened the flap in yes. the back, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's not bad, but I don't feel the need to revisit this one. I think other things comment on the similar subject matter in a way that I enjoy watching more. For instance, I would rewatch *Hail Caesar* like once a year, and I do think that like a movie like that, or *The Artist*, or some comment you know—some bucket of movies similar to these, you know, movies about show business, movies about the golden era of Hollywood or silent films becoming talkies or Broadway musicals making their transitions from stage to screen. Like th- that comment, uh, I'd probably look for in a different package for rewatching purposes. All right, well, for our first musical, uh, this was an interesting one, Justin, wouldn't you say? Yeah, really glad Sydney
0: could join us. Sydney, I think you made it better. So if you're willing, Thanks. we'd love to have you back sometime.
2: I will shuffle on over, a buffalo on over.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And uh, yeah, super appreciative to have Sydney here. Next week we are on to 1931's Frankenstein. Justin.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to do it. It's been a long time since I watched it, but uh, made me cry when I was a kid. Excited to see if I'm gonna cry again.
1: Nice. Yep. Tune in next week to hear Justin cry. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Let the movie speak! speak. you're nice to
2: the right people, you're gonna get along. You know, on that young and healthy number when you walk down stage. Just well, give it a little life, you know, sort of. And not a prep, sort of. Quiet, please! <laughs>
0: Hey, since you're still here and still listening,
1: thank you, by the way, we'd like to ask an additional favor of you. We have social media. It's a thing on the internet. And all you need to do is find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and like and subscribe. I know this is annoying, but we have to ask you because we want more people to hear the show. In addition to that, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. See you next week. Bye.